in a series called Rooted, and what we're doing together is we're going through uh, this series rooted with small groups and uh, workbooks and all this kind of stuff. But if you're new or you're watching online and you weren't able to order your book or whatever, it's okay. Each sermon is a standalone sermon, and this one is probably the most difficult sermon to preach of all of them. And the reason it's, it, it's difficult is because I'm going to try to do uh, in the next 35 minutes what it probably should take about a 12-week series to do. And that is to address, not answer, address the question of why is there pain and suffering in the world. Last, uh, last night or la yesterday afternoon, we had a funeral for a wonderful man, Conrad, who uh, did nothing but serve others. And he was struck by a car and died. And uh, you look at those types of situations, and I'm sure if I were to poll all of you, there are times in your life, and maybe it's a time right now, maybe you're in church right now, uh, you've, you, you're coming back, or you're watching online, or someone heard this sermon, and now they're sharing it with you, and you're listening to it, because you're in a time of pain, or you're coming out of a time of pain. And if you've thought for any second realistically, haven't you ever wondered what in the world God is doing to allow pain and suffering? Why does he allow that? And this type of thinking isn't new, okay? We've been struggling with this idea for a very long time. In 300 BC, okay, uh, there was a guy named Epicurus, Okay, and he came up with what we call the Epicurean par uh, paradox. It's actually uh, it's 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 more of like three uh, paradox, but anyway, that's what we call it. And I thought it would be cool. I thought we got the name Curious from Epicurus, but we didn't. Sorry, I looked it up. I thought that'd be kind of a cool little fun fact. And we don't get the EpiPen from his name either. But his name is Epicurus. Okay, here he is. He's got soulless eyes. I don't know what that's all about, but he's got a beautiful beard and beautiful hair. And here's his paradox. He's talking about God. If he's willing, uh, if he is willing and is unable, he's feeble, right? This is to get rid of evil. If he's willing to get rid of evil or, or suffering or difficulty, but he's, un, but he's unable, then he's feeble. He's not strong which is not in accordance with the character of God. If he is able, but he's unwilling, he is envious. Now again, this is 300 BC, so we think of envious differently than they thought of it then, but you get the point. He's, he, there's a problem, is really what Epicurus is saying, which is equally at variance with God. If he is neither willing nor able, he's both envious and feeble, right? He is, uh, and therefore, not God. If he is both willing and able, which alone is suitable to God, he's willing to do it and he's able to do it, from what source then are evils? Why does he not remove them? That is a great question. And I can promise you this morning, I will probably not answer it to your satisfaction. But I'm going to do my best to explain my position, to explain where I get it from, as someone who has gone through uh, many different dark times of life, 
many different disappointments, many different wonderings why, many different times where I would say, look, I don't even care that there's evil. I mean, again, you know my story, pretty much all of you. As I remember saying this prayer as my son is having a seizure. Just give it to me. Just give me the epilepsy. I'll take it. I'll take it and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it however you want me to deal with it. Just don't give it to him. Why does he have to struggle? He's eight years old. Leave him alone. I have prayed. Your pastor has prayed those prayers while I was a pastor. And I preached the next day about the goodness of God. So I know what it's like to be somewhat hypocritical. To be somewhat at odds with God. All the while trying to figure out my theology and how has this even come to it. And Epicurus, I get him. Like that would be a conclusion. So what I wanted to do this morning was maybe shift it a little bit. And, and to think about God, but also to think about us. And so I just, I just kind of created this little thing. I got God on this side. I got humans on this side. And you'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. We're going to take acts of God. These are things that are completely out of our control. Earthquakes, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, all those acts of God. If you take uh, all natural disasters combined worldwide per year, what we would call acts of God, uh, you're looking at about 79,000 dead. 79,000 people die a year from an act of God. We would say we are not responsible for that. Now, you might say we are because of climate change and there's more earthquakes. That's fair, fair enough, fair enough. But let's just not blame us for right now. We'll just blame God, okay? So we're going to just blame God for my sake. Thank you. All right. We'll talk about climate change at another uh, when I'm dead. Okay, so uh, <laughs> that's when I'll address that meaty topic. Okay, 79,000 dead. Humans, overdose every year. Just overdose. Drugs. 166,000 dead. Humans. Humans do that. Humans created the drugs. Humans created the, the need to medicate. Humans created all that. That's, that's humans. Okay? In the U.S., richest country, best country in the world, yay! Uh, 90,000 of those are from the U.S. Okay? Deaths of despair. Overdose. Wars each year. It has nothing to do with God. These are just war. These are just humans have a problem with humans. Every year, we lose about 81,000 people per year, just kind of now, nowadays. I'm not talking about major wars, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, all those, uh, the Iraq and Afghan war, all those things. We're, putting, we're setting those aside. This is just basically what's going on now. We still outpace God by 2,000. Good job, humans. Alcohol. Three million people die worldwide from alcohol abuse. We create alcohol. We drink alcohol. I have nothing with alcohol. I got no problem. Okay, you want to drink a beer? I'm just timid, Pastor John, just giving you a fact that we lose 3 million people. Starvation, 7 million people a year die of starvation. You say, aha, but that's because of drought and famine and those types of things. We can feed every human on the planet right now. As humans, we can. We have enough food. We just choose to have systems that do not do that. Okay, let's take away deaths because we obviously beat God in deaths. That's for sure. Uh, let's just go to 
just difficulties. Current slaves in the U.S., 40 million people are in slavery today. Today. Of those, 1.2 million, it's actually 0.3, but I, I'm trying not to exaggerate these. I actually took lower numbers, okay? So that way when you fact check me, you'll go, he was even more right than he said. I am. Sex slaves is 1.3 million. We'll put down 1.2 of just people being abused by other people for no reason. The marginalized, the weakest of our species being used. And then I just put in World War II just because what's 40 million people between friends, right? So you say, well, John, nice try. But World War II was Hitler, and why didn't God just take out Hitler? That's a good question. That's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that. Because if he takes out Hitler, I guess, and he takes out Idi Amin, and he takes out Stalin and Lenin, and just kind of people who've historically been naughty, right? He takes those out. Then where, where does he end? Well, well, he could certainly just take out those people. Fair enough. Fair enough. As a matter of fact, this... Epicurus is just dealing with an issue that has gone on even before that. I want to read an ancient song. This is about, he was 300 BC. This is about 700 BC. And here's, and see if this sounds familiar to you. It's this guy talking about what he sees about evil people, right? It's a song, it's a, it's a poem. It's in a different language, so it doesn't rhyme. If you're waiting for it to rhyme in English, it doesn't. It says, they have no struggles. Right? Have you ever seen someone you just don't like at all, and it seems like everything's going right for them? And what's your first question? God, just smoke them. We're good. We're good with that. We're good with that. Just that one person. You, you probably have a person in your mind right now, and it better not be your boss. Okay? You can get in trouble for that. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. This, remember, this is 700 BC. We're still dealing with the same stuff today. They scoff. And speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. In other words, they say they've got it all figured out and isn't this great? And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters of abundance. In other words, those around them, their posse or whatever you want to call it, their party or whatever, they, everything's going great. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Right? They even mock God to his face. And you're thinking, as if, if you're thinking like me, and maybe I'm just the worst pastor in the world, I'm thinking, God, get him. Go get him. Just, just something, a heart attack. No one will even know. I don't care. Whatever it is, just do it. This is what this writer is struggling with. It gets even worse for him. Uh, does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Also, free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. In other words, I've tried to do the right thing, and I kind of feel stupid doing the right thing. 
Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Listen to this. All day long I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. You ever feel that way? Every morning you just wake up and you're like, you've turned on the news and you see somebody doing really well. They're on their fifth marriage and you're just on your first struggling. And you're doing the best you can and you're trying to make it work and you're working, you're working and this person's on number five and they're driving a Lamborghini and you're like, man, I wish I was on my fifth marriage, right? I'm kidding, right? Right, you just feel that way. Well, what I want to do from this ancient song is go to a a story in the Bible that you all know, and I, I, obviously I know it, but you all know, and um, it, it doesn't seem to match what I'm talking about. But my hope is that when I get done, and we've gone through this story, and I've shown you how Jesus shows up, and where he shows up, and when he shows up, that you would maybe shift your perspective a little bit. That maybe the Epicurean paradox, there's one more section that Epicurus didn't think about. That in this ancient song we'll see later, he did think about. And it's this. What if God is all-powerful, right? He can... remove it and he's willing to do it but that's not the most loving thing now you say how can that not be the most loving thing to stop a little kid from being tortured or to start I get that that is an excellent question and I don't think I have the answer to it I have a little bit of an answer as I continue to wrestle with this and I'm hoping that this will let you kind of open your mind a little bit But what if we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, and the way all of that plays out together doesn't make sense to our non-eternal minds? That's where I'm going this morning. I told you, it was a hard one, uh, and it would take 12 weeks literally to get through all of this. And even then, we'd probably be like, you know, just like Epicurus and the writer of that song. Uh, but that's, that's my point. Because my, my question really isn't why is there evil in the world if there's a God. My question is why are there humans? Honestly. That's my question. If I were God, you know, the whole flood thing, he saves Noah, I wouldn't have saved Noah. I, Noah, the first thing he does when he gets off the boat is get drunk. Okay, so Noah wasn't like this great, I mean, he was, anyway, I hope they're not doing an ark in there right now. What did you learn? We learned about Noah. Uh, He got drunk. He's terrible. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. My point is, humans seem to me to be the problem. We're the ones that abuse each other. We're the ones that start wars. We're the ones that amass so much wealth at the expense of the marginalized and the poor. And this was not God's intent. And for some reason, he allows it to go. So let's take a look at this section of scripture, and hopefully I can wrap it all up, uh, and and we'll see. If not, you'll just go home and go, man, that was weird. Okay. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So now this is what's happening. 
Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And this is the type of thing you would expect a loving God to do. There's a bunch of people. They're listening to Jesus preach and they're hungry. And so God says, oh, if you're hungry, let's just feed you. Let's just stop the hunger pains. Let's stop whatever it is that's ailing you. And Jesus has, uh, God has done this in the past. He did it as the people went through um, the desert. They were hungry. And so God provided manna from heaven because he didn't want them to go hungry. And so they ate manna for a while. Well, first they tried to hoard it, okay, which is you know, like toilet paper in a pandemic, they just tried to hoard it all, okay? And because that's what humans do. And, and God just made it go rot. If you hoard it, it's going to go rotten, which would have been really cool with toilet paper in the pandemic. But <laughs> I digress. I would just, come on, how about it next time? Okay, so, so he, he makes it go rotten. So uh, he's providing, my, and then what, they, what do they do? They begin to complain. Because now they want variety. They want meat. They want something else. So God provides quail. And then he provides so much quail, they're like, ah, we don't want quail. It, it's just kind of an object lesson of who we are as humans. We say, God, I would, if only I had this, that would be all I'd need. <laughs> Until you get only that. And then you need more, right? Anyone who's gotten a raise. God, if I just got a $5,000 raise, all my problems would be solved. You get it? You want 5,000 more just like that. So this is what happens. Jesus feeds them. And then he tells his disciples, we are not rock stars. We're not going to sit around and just get all this accolades. Go to the other side of, uh, 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 the other side of the lake. While he dismissed the crowd, everybody shows over. No more bread. No more fish. You go away. And then watch what he does. After he had dismissed them, he went on the mountainside to pray by himself. So you've got the disciples doing what they're told to do. You are supposed to go to the other side. That's what they were told to do. And then God leaves them, essentially. Jesus goes to the mountain to be with his heavenly father. To maybe process through the day, I have no idea. But I know that he prayed. And later that night, he was there alone. So this is where we are. We've got... Humans, Jesus is human too, but basically we've got the disciples who are told to go somewhere, to do something. They're being righteous. They're obeying Jesus. And Jesus is off on a mountain doing spiritual things. Do you ever feel that way with God? That you're doing the thing he told you to do? And then you go to pray or you go to reach out or whatever and you just don't feel like he's there. I have been there many, many times, okay? He's been there alone. Now, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They're in a storm. They're obeying God, and they're in a storm. They're doing what they were told to do, and they're in a storm. They, they didn't even question. They just... Jesus said, get in the boat, go to the other side. I don't know if they thought he'd just beam himself over to the other side or he'd walk around or whatever he'd do. They were just obeying and it was hard. Maybe that's you this morning. Being obedient is just 
difficult for you, whether it's your sexual ethic, how you're handling your finances, how you're handling your boss, how you're handling your adult children. Anyway, uh, right? So it's like you're just doing the best you can, and it just feels like a storm. How you're handling your husband, how you're handling your wife, how you're handling your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, you're trying to do the best you can, and it just seems hard, and it seems like Jesus isn't there. And we might be like Epicurus and just ask ourselves, if you're all-powerful and you're all-knowing and you're all-loving, can you just do my little thing? Can you just heal him? Can you just fix her (laughs) or him, right? (laughs) Shortly before dawn, so we'll see this in a second. So just so you know, they were doing this for a long time. Right? They started in the evening, and just before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Jesus shows up in a way they never expected, at a time they never expected, but they're still in the middle of the storm. So he goes walking on the lake. Now, again, I don't know why Matthew just writes, like if I were writing this in the Bible, I would say, Shortly before dawn, Jesus, believe it or not, (laughs) Jesus, and I know this sounds crazy, (laughs) Matthew's just like, oh yeah, I was in the boat at the time. It was crazy. Anyway, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Like, on the lake? Yeah, on it. In it? Like, he was like, no, on it. Around it? Nope. Preposition. On it. Okay. When the disciples saw him walking on, on the lake, they were terrified. Right? Jesus, so finally God shows up in the midst of the storm. Jesus shows up in the midst of the storm, and it's frightening. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've come. Maybe you're brand new to Jesus. Right? Maybe, maybe for you, this is you've gone through the pandemic. You, you, you've gone through the last two elections. Oh, we're coming up to another one. Isn't that exciting? I can't wait to lead a church through another election. It's just going to be fantastic. Uh, we're all going to get along. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. I don't care what you do in your private life. You are going to get along when you walk through those doors. Okay. All right. So that's good. That goes for you online as well. Don't hide from me. I'll find you. Okay. We're going to make it through, all right? So you've done this. You've gone through all this difficulty and you went forward or you raised your hand or you said, you know what? I need Jesus. I need to change my life. I need to make it right. I need to just get some sense of stability and you're scared to death. I've done that. One time I quit my really good job to take over a church I about peed my pants. I was so scared. I was doing what God asked me to do, and I was frightened. And he showed up, and he's still here. And it's still scary sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. It's a ghost, they said, right? And cried out in fear. All right. But immediately, Jesus is going to say something that through all the different 
difficulties and tragedies and, and things that are going on in the world that we can't, we can't understand or we can't explain. He says the same thing to us today, which gives us a glimpse in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. We get a glimpse into this, the fact that he might be willing and he might be able, but it might not be in the character of who God is to save everyone from every one of their difficulties. To let it play out. To say, listen, I have showed you the right thing to do. I've told you the right things to do. I sent my son that lived the life of how we're supposed to live. And yet, time after time after time, you keep disobeying. And this is the result of your disobedience. If you have adult children, this is what it's like. Right? If you have adult children that are playing the fool, you say, look, I raised you as a little baby. We did everything. I showed you. I told you. I, I told you not to go into debt. I told you consumer debt was wrong. I know you got 100. I see the jet ski, right? I see the big screen TV. You complain about being $125,000 in debt. I, my 401k has way more than that. I could fix it for you, but I'm not going to. I know about it. I'm, will, I'm, I'm able to do it, but that would not be the loving thing to do. Now, that's a bad example. I understand that when it comes to, like, real tragedy. But what if this is the type of thing that's going on? So Jesus immediately says the same thing to them that he would say to us, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. This is what our Heavenly Father says to us every single day as we go through the difficulties that we have. Yes, there are difficulties. Yes, he might not be getting rid of them. But just because he's silent on a subject does not mean he's absent. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now then Peter, I don't get why he did this. He said, Look, okay, so first of all, he thinks it's a ghost. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. If it's a ghost, why would you do that? Because the ghost is going to trick you and go, oh, yeah, it's me. Come on the water. And then when you drown, it'll be like, ha, ha, because I'm a ghost. I tricked you. Do something else. Like, Jesus, how many fingers am I holding behind my back? Like, prove it first before you take the risk. But Peter doesn't. Because here's what Peter knows. And here's what we kind of all know as we go through difficulty. He's there. He's there. Peter heard his voice when he said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. There was something in Peter. Again, I'm reading into the Bible. I understand that. But Peter's been hanging around Jesus for a long time. And even in the midst of my darkest times, whether it be with the church or my son or things that are going on or loss or disappointment, in the back of my mind, I go, you know what? I know it's you. I know you're there. I know I have nowhere else to turn. And this is what Peter says. He says, tell me to come onto the water. And Jesus says, come. This is where I am. The distance between where you are now and where I want you to be doesn't make any sense. What would make sense 
is if Jesus just calmed the storm and said, hey, I'm really sorry you guys went through that storm. That was on me. I was praying up on a hill, didn't know what was going on, but once I found out, I was on it right away. Now, Jesus says, I am in a place that makes no sense. I'm on the water right now, standing on the water. This makes no sense at all. I want you to come to where it doesn't make sense. I want you to cross that gap of between like explaining. Peter cannot explain. You cannot explain. I cannot explain how a person can step out over a boat. I, I don't know when it became hard for him. Like if he went down a while and he's like, oh man, this is, oh, wait a second. Like it was under the water. I don't know if he was on the water. I don't know how it all worked. But he says, come. And so here's kind of my point for this morning, and I've made this point before. I stole this point from a sermon I preached before. Here's the point. God does not give you a command without giving you the power to complete it. God does not put you in a situation without giving you the power to see it through. You say, but John, what about pain and suffering and disappointment and all these things? What's odd about those things is that when I think of them hypothetically, like something happening to a child or whatever, I have nothing to offer. But when I experience it myself, or I talk to people who've gone through real tragedy, I find the same story over and over. I didn't know how I was going to get through it, but somehow in the midst of it, God met me. That might be the third part of the Epicurus paradox. He's able, and he wants it to be, he wants there to be shalom, but in his nature and in allowing free will, humans are going to do what humans do, so he meets us in a place that doesn't make any sense at all. I hope I'm making any sense at all, because this is what's happened in my own life. Even when the circumstances don't change, God meets me there. Even when that person is just being completely ridiculous, God meets me there. Even when the diagnosis is still pain, is still difficulty, when the cancer hasn't left, he meets me there. Peter got down off the boat, walked on water. <laughs> He was doing it. Now, where's the storm? It's still going. There's, there's 11 other dudes in the boat. Just to be honest, I'd be in the boat. I would have been in the boat, like going, okay, now, let's see. What can we do to make sure that the boat's not going to sink, right? I'd have a life jacket on. I'd have a mask, snorkel, everything. I'd try to do everything. Peter goes on because Peter risks, because Peter takes a chance, because Peter believes Jesus is who he says he is. And Peter experiences this miracle in the midst of the storm. He walks on water and comes toward Jesus. But, but, when he saw the wind, right? Another version says, and he saw the waves. He saw... It just, he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked around and went, no way, there's no way. I'm on the water. There's waves all around. Again, I don't know how that, I don't know if he went up and down with the water like he was kind of his own boat. I don't know if the waves just kind of cut through him and it was like you're walking out on the sea, you know, and the waves hit you. I have no idea what it was like, 
but it would have been scary, <laughs> okay? And so he understood when I begin to realize the reality of what I'm in, in this time frame as a mortal, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I got you. I've been here the whole time. They're still on the water, by the way. He's just, I don't know if Jesus was hugging him, carried him back. You're such a baby. I cannot believe this. I don't know how it all went. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because there was wind and waves and I'm standing in the middle of a lake by myself. Maybe that's it, Jesus. Maybe that's why I doubt it. But from Jesus' perspective, he's like, I got you. I had you the whole time. I know you were going through something hard, but I'm here. And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you're the son of God. Maybe that's some of you this morning. You're on the tail end of the difficulty. And you're like, whew. Let me tell you what happens to me oftentimes when I'm on the tail end of the difficulty. When things work, their self, themselves, that work themselves out or however it all goes. Or there's a surgery and it seems to be working or what have you. I always look back and I go, I wish I had gotten out of the boat. Right? Eleven dudes were in there. I uh, if they're like me, I'd have been like, man, I could have stepped out on the, I could have done it. He was there the whole time. It's Jesus. And now everything's calm. And it's like, oh man, right? There's like this sense of loss almost that I didn't handle it better. Even as your pastor, I read the Bible for a living. I don't always go through those things the best. So let me just end with a couple things. Uh, that I, I, I go back to because about the same time uh, Epicurus was struggling with this, around 300 BC, a prophet Micah addressed this same thing. God speaks through this prophet. And basically what God is saying, do you want to stop pain and suffering? You know, to which we'd all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and God gives the answer to humanity, right? And we still, even with all the science we have, all the things we know about mental health and addiction and difficulty and relational issues and our own family of origin problems and all the blah, blah, blah. We know so much stuff. We still can't do this simple verse in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. You know this, basically, God is saying. And what does the Lord require of you? Now imagine a world, forget political parties, forget countries, forget it, but imagine a world that just does Micah 6, 8. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Can you imagine if the United States did this? Russia did this. Pick your country, China, whatever, whatever. I'm, this isn't a political sermon. If it was, I'd leave the ministry. To act justly. In other words, if there's something wrong, make it right. 
If there's a marginalized person in your midst, stop them from being marginalized. Speak up. Say something. If there's inappropriate jokes going on with somebody who's defenseless, don't engage in that. If someone needs to be fed, feed them. If someone needs to be cared for, care for them. If someone needs to be protected, protect them. If we would just do this, act justly. And then love mercy. When it's not done the right way to us to say it's okay. We're going to work through this. And then to walk humbly with our God. That same God that walks on the water. That same God that provided manna. The same God that provided the loaves and the fish. We just walk with him. We're not amassing wealth. We're not trying to get our way. We're not taking positions of power and then abusing them. This is all we need to do, humans. <laughs> and yet, we stumble again and again and again. So my question really isn't, why doesn't God fix pain and suffering? It's why does he allow humans to survive? <laughs> because we're so bad at this. That guy who wrote the song back in 700 BC, his name was uh, Asaph. A-S-A-P-H, which I don't know why you're not naming your kids Asaph. Pretty awesome dude. Here's how he ends his song. Remember he was talking like, oh, like the unrighteous, they wear, they wear arrogance around their neck like a necklace and they, they keep amassing wealth and all their group seems to prosper too. And it's like they make music videos and it looks like everything's going great. This is, how, this is his conclusion. And this is my conclusion for myself as well, when I can't answer the question, why do bad things happen? As the worship band comes back up, he says this, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. I can walk out on the water. You'll grab me. You guide me with your counsel through the difficult times that you haven't taken away, that you seem to think it's okay for me to go through. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll take me into glory. This is an eternal mindset that says no matter what is going on on this planet and no matter who's responsible and what is going on, it is a blink as it relates to eternity. Asaph writes that uh, you will take me into glory. Who, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Again, I go back to one of my favorite verses because it's the verse I just lean on and I cling to when I don't understand. It's almost like Isaiah is writing to Asaph and going, I know, Asaph, I know exactly how you feel. And I just want to remind you, the prophet Isaiah writes to Asaph, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I know it doesn't make sense. I, I get you. I understand. I know it seems like, why don't I act? I, I get it. But for right now, it's no. Or right now, you just have to deal with it. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And Asaph would say, I know, I know. And God would add, 
I don't think you do because as the heavens are higher than the earth, you'll never quite figure it out. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. We're going to end with a final song and uh, uh, as Travis was saying, we have um, pillows up in front if you want to kneel down. Maybe for you, you're going through a really difficult time. And maybe you're angry at God. And you're saying, you know what? I heard all that stuff, but the thing I'm going through, this is unfair. And maybe you want to bring that to him. He can handle it. He can handle it. He didn't kill Epicurus right after he wrote the paradox. Like, God must not be there. You know, he let him live. Let him struggle. And so maybe you want to do that. Maybe for you, you've just gotten out of a really dark time. And you just want to come and kneel down and say, oh, God, through the storm, through the storm, you had me walk out on the water. It was scary, but you were there. We also have people at the cross. You might have a specific thing that you want prayer for, and they'll pray for you as well. Maybe to bring healing, because he still does that. Maybe to bring comfort. Maybe to bring wisdom. You're in a situation you just don't understand. That's available as well. Nobody here judges anybody for coming forward and praying. I know it's just a human instinct to think, I'm not going forward. Everyone will look at me. Nobody cares. We're all on your side. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, we just, this is such a hard topic. It's such a difficult thing, especially as we just sit in the difficulty that we all have. We turn on the news and it's just bad. We hear a pundit talk about a situation. We think it's hopeless. We look at the people in power and we think they're stupid. We think they're incompetent. We think, God, could you just get somebody in place that knows what they're doing, that cares about people, cares about justice and mercy and walks humbly with their God. So God, we just lay this at your feet. We don't know why you're not fixing everything. Make a nice utopia, but we trust you. Or would you continue to teach us? Would you continue to guide us? In Jesus' name, amen. So this guy, Asaph, who wrote that psalm, he was like the rock star worship leader for David, like in the temple. He wrote 11 songs that we have in Psalms. So this is the guy who essentially in our context would sit up on stage and looked really cool, had frosted hair and ripped jeans and was awesome voice. Oh my goodness. We have 11 Psalms from him. All of them are lament. All of them are... Oh. So if you leave here this morning, or you're watching online, or you've shared this with someone, or you're listening to this because someone shared it with you, and you made it through the day and you said, that was really awesome, and then tomorrow you go, ah, oh. you're not alone. You're not alone. He's still out on the water. He's still begging you to come out of the boat and to meet him. And now... In the name of the Father, 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd go in his strength, in his peace, in his joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.